So today we're going to start our series in the book of Micah. So actually we're going to be reading through the entire book of Micah today. So hopefully you had some coffee. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting and uh, hopefully worshipful as we do it. Uh, I have some special notes about that though. I've got three gentlemen here in the front row uh, who are going to read parts. So you can open your Bibles to Micah chapter 1 and follow along with them. But a few things I just want to let you know before they do that um, is that we have kind of a combination of things in this text. Um, ESV is the primary one. So if you have an ESV, it'll make mostly sense as you're reading through. You'll be able to follow along clearly. I have the NLT in there in some harder passages. And then a little bit of uh, NASB. And then some of my own translation there to kind of smooth things for vocally reading in English. Because Micah is a difficult book. um, And it's hard to kind of understand. And many of the translations, if you've ever read through it, are kind of at points, they're difficult to work through. So that's a fair warning. One other note. So in chapter 1 at the end, uh, the Hebrew is transliterated for the cities. And I have actually translated what the name of the cities mean when you hear it. So it's funny, kind of, and I'm following S. Lewis Johnson on that, who some of you know, some of you don't, but I I copied some of his names um, and kind of did some of my own. Um, Before that, I'm also going to read from 2 Kings and Chronicles the passages about the kings who ruled during the days that Micah prophesied. I think when we begin a series, it's really important to understand the context of what we're actually reading in the book of Micah. Uh, So, uh, with that said, I have one more thing for you before we read. Uh, When we're reading through Micah, there are some things to look for. It's kind of like a student of the Bible, like we're we're looking for things as we mine it, right? So here are some things as we read out loud today. And in your own Bible reading that I think would be good for you to think through, and we'll hit on some of them today, but obviously we've got six weeks in the book of Micah. So number one, Micah's name means who is like Yahweh, or what is Yahweh like, or who is Yahweh? So one of those things is what it means, it's kind of lost a little bit, maybe all of them is intended, but when we go to the book of Micah, maybe, and actually he points it out in the last chapter, seven, maybe that's an interesting question that we'd be looking for. And at the Wednesday sermon discussion, Greg said, hey, one of the things we want to look through is the character of God. So when we look through the book of Micah, who is Yahweh? The very prophet, his name itself is a clue to what we're looking for. Second, building on this, what are some themes? It's heavy on a few things, repeated words, concepts, um, rebukes. What are they about? And what can we see? Micah is kind of touching on as themes in the book of Micah. Seven short chapters, so it shouldn't be hard to pick them out. Um, How is the book divided? That's another one. Look for keys. Is there a key where I think, oh, maybe he's changing his tone, or maybe there's a different thing he wants us to think about related to the theme. So book divisions. I think there's a couple of clear ones here in Micah. Finally, what is the book about? Really, what, one thing I want to help you guys do by the Spirit of God um, as you study through is, is ask the question, what is this about? What is Micah about? Can I, can I summarize it in one sentence so that 
a couple years from now, maybe, Lord willing, you can say, you know, I remember when you're evangelizing to someone, we're out trying to encourage someone when you need encouragement. Oh, Micah's about this. And so those are the things that I think would be wise for you to be thinking about here in the next 20 to 25 minutes as we read Scripture. I think it'll help you focus. It's a long time, especially for those who were up late last night, some of my youth leaders. <laughs> we were here pretty late. So uh, let me pray, and then I'm going to start reading the passages about the kings. I'm going to turn it over to these guys to read parts in the book of Micah. Lord, uh, your word is truth, as we heard this morning. Lord, speak to us through your word. Encourage us. Work in and through us, Father. We ask that you would show us the Lord Jesus and that we would love him more as a result of reading through the book of Micah today and studying it over the next few weeks. I pray these things in his name. Amen. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Remaliah, began to reign over Israel and Samaria. And he reigned 20 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin in the days of Pekah, king of Israel. Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Yon, Abel-Bait Ma'akah, Yenoah, Kadesh, Hatzor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, 
and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open, like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. These things were bought with the money earned by her prostitution. And they will now be carried away to pay prostitutes elsewhere. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals, and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah, all the way up to the gates of Jerusalem. Don't tell our enemies in Gath. Don't weep at all. Your people in Dustville, roll in the dust and show your despair. You people in beautiful town, go as captives into exile, naked and ashamed. The people of Exitville dare not come outside their walls. The people of Stand Village will mourn, for their house has no support. The people of Bittertown anxiously wait for relief, but only bitterness awaits them as the Lord's judgment reaches even to the gates of Jerusalem. Harness your chariot horses and flee, you people of Chariotsburg. You were the first city in Judah to follow Israel in her rebellion, and you led Jerusalem into sin. Send farewell gifts to Presentville. There is no hope of saving it. The town of deception has deceived the kings of Israel. O people of conquerors, Tun, once again a conqueror will capture your town, and the glory of Israel will go to Adullam. O people of Judah, shave more than a patch of hair off your heads in sorrow, for the children you love will be snatched away. Make yourself bald as a vulture, for your little ones will be exiled to distant lands. Woe to those who divide wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because they can. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily. For it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me to an apostate. He allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach. Thus they preach. 
One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Who says this, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient enough to do this? Don't his words do good to whoever is close to Israel? But even yesterday, my people have risen up as an enemy. You steal the shirts right off the backs of those who trusted you, making them as ragged as men returning from battle. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that is so terribly destructive. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. He would be the preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like the sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them the Lord at their head. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Shouldn't you know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off from my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Still they cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He won't even look at them when they cry out, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord. Prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Because of this, it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination." The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. But it will be in latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in the Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished, that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let her let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves for the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat into pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one day who is to be ruler in Israel. Those coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. So he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. So the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, 
I will cut off your horses from among you, and you will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all of your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off from your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I have brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you before you, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, that I may you a desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. 
The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Surely she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. In that day your walls will be rebuilt. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants, for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. One more set of scriptures here about King Hezekiah. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Halah on the harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. Even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened nor obeyed. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord and said, So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. 
Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it. For my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. Praise God for his word. It's about 20 minutes, 25 minutes of scripture reading. Thanks, Nathan. I was preaching last night as well, so my voice is a little rough. <laughs> um, so I hope that was helpful. You know, if, if you run or if you walk, can read through this in about 15 minutes, um, maybe a couple times this week. But I want to start today with a question, why should we study the book of Micah? I think it's really important to answer that question, at least at the beginning. And I want to start um, with an illustration. Um, when I first took over youth group about five years ago, we were meeting at Lenny's house. There were like 12 to 15 kids, and it was great. There were like four families. And uh, they all loved to go outside and play, because that was one of the things we did while dinner was there. And so we all went outside to play, and they were jumping on a trampoline. Now, that's okay. That's cool. But one of the things about that trampoline is it was big enough to kind of accommodate about 10 to 12 kids. Not safely, and we warned them, but there were 10 to 12 kids on it regularly. So I don't remember the exact day it was. I know it was early when I was kind of in the youth minister's position. They were all on there, and they were jumping around. I had gone inside, and James Wooten of infamy <laughs> jumped and landed on his hand and broke his arm, uh, this part of his arm. And he actually handled it pretty well, but I remember kind of dreading that call to Karina and Walt, like, oh, man, I'm a new guy here. One of the kids broke his arm. What am I going to say? And they were very gracious, and he got a cast on it. He actually came back the next week and brought a friend. His name was Cameron. Now, here's the thing about that night, that second week in a row. Actually, Andrew Dean was there. I don't know why. I can't remember, but he played a part in this. So they're out on the trampoline, and literally right as after I had told them, look, last week, you guys made some unwise decisions. <laughs> like, you were out there jumping against our will. Let's not do that again. A few minutes pass. James leads his friend inside, first time at youth group, and he's like, Man, I'm sorry, but Cameron broke his arm. Okay, I kind of chuckled at first because I thought it was a joke. Like, I'm saying like three minutes or four minutes after I said, don't do this, they came in. It wasn't a joke. <laughs> it was actually a very bad fracture. Andrew Dean took him in the kitchen and like, he was about to faint. He, uh, he like splinted his arm with an old cereal box or something. <laughs> and I had to call his parents. And that was even harder because I had no idea who they were. <laughs> like, that was a fun call. Here's the point. We should learn from our mistakes, and I didn't. Um, I should have just cut it off. There's no longer any jumping on any trampolines at youth group. <laughs> um, and they actually got rid of their trampoline while we were still meeting there. Um, you know, I think we're to learn from, from this book in the same way. We're to learn uh, like Judah should have learned from Israel, looking on, and they're carried away. Three, three deportations. They should have learned right? We should learn from Judah's example because they were carried away by Babylon later. That's one key reason. Micah is like a younger sibling watching 
the older get grounded in learning how not to act. Right? My brother learned a lot from me on how not to act. Micah is like a guy watching the guy ahead of you on I-30 East speeding, and he gets pulled over, and you know you better pump the brakes. You're going 12 over. Everyone knows you can only go 5 over, so the speed trap's going to get you, right? It's like that, spiritually, looking at Micah. Pump the brakes. See what God has to say to you. It's like a challenge to learn from our mistakes. That's one reason. Hear what Jesus has to say about this very thing in Luke 13. I'm going to read five verses here. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So it's not, hey, look at these terrible people in Micah. Tom was mentioning this. It's the grace of God to us too. What, what do I need to see in this and learn from my mistakes? So that's number one. Number two, leadership and leaders are common to all people. Hezekiah hates it that I am an authority over him sometimes, as all young men and women do. And I, you know what I tell him? I'm like, buddy, I got like 12 bosses at the church. I got elders who I love most of the time, but sometimes, no, I'm kidding. Love them all. But like, I, we're all, we all have authorities over us. And actually, all of us, or almost the vast majority of people have people under them. How, how does our leadership affect people? Because the book of Micah has a lot to say about that. How are we to treat those in authority over us? And how, in, in a like way, in a like manner, how are we to respond to bad leaders? This book is a lot of bad leaders. Actually, in the end, we're disciplined harshly and killed because of the will of the Lord. In addition, we live in an unjust culture. And I'm not talking about CRT or social justice or even religious justice. I'm talking about biblical justice. This book has a lot to say about what God thinks is justice. I think that's an important reason to study this book. Speaking of shepherding and, and that theme, this is what Jesus has to say about serving other people, being an authority. In Mark 10, 42 to 45, some of you probably memorized part of this. It says, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must you must must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So leadership issues, how to serve, how to be under authority and over people in a shepherding way. That's one of the things the book of Micah has to offer. And finally, and I think probably most importantly, is we all need to know the great character of God and his coming kingdom. Because without that heart transformation, without that hope, the other things aren't going to follow. And Micah provides that for us. He's one of the clearest messianic kingdom messiah books in the entire Old Testament. And it's really encouraging and I think there's a lot of hope in this book. There's a lot of judgment, but there's, there's some very bright hope. It's not even just in the famous 6-8. Throughout the book, there are these verses that are worthy of memory. This is my favorite one up there worthy of memory. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. So are you needing hope? 
Like in the midst of feeling God's judgment or the difficulty of sin in the world, Micah is a book for you. That's another reason to study it. When everything looks dark, there's hope in Christ and his kingdom. So those are the three core reasons I think we can study and should study and why I picked it, the book of Micah. All right, let's go to the next slides. There are some contextual reminders here for you guys just really quickly. Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea are his prophetic contemporaries. Uh, So they are the ones who he prophesies with, probably talked with, honestly, though he's in the country and there may be more to the royalty. He is a contemporary of theirs. So those are books that if you have time or want to review, they are important in this. Uh, Micah has Amos's passion for justice, Hosea's heart of love, and Isaiah's hope in the Messiah. That's what Tom Constable says. Um, I would say, uh, Bob and I talked about this a little bit, I would say Micah is a shorter version of Isaiah. He encaptures kind of the messianic hope, the judgment on sin. So if you don't, can't have read all 66 books of Isaiah, we can't do that here. We just read Micah. It's like 10%. It's actually less than 10%. It's seven chapters versus 66, okay? So this is kind of the short version of Isaiah. And finally, just a reminder, we read them, but the kings were Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. They're all from Judah, the southern kingdom. So Micah is prophesying to them. All right, let's uh, hit the next slide. I don't know how well you can see this. I tried to blow it up, but uh, Reese Graves found this for me because our uh, discipleship group is going through Micah too. So I'm double timing a little bit here, preaching to you and doing that. But this is a great graph. I have this full resource that goes through all the kings of Israel and Judah. And it has dates on the top. It also goes through kind of the lineage of kings on each side and the prophets next to them. So you can see Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Isaiah, Micah. It doesn't list all the prophets, or maybe I cut them off on the side. But it's very helpful, kind of cool. If you want that, I can send it out to you. Just let me know this week. But that's, that's a good picture of what's going on. You see on the left-hand side, the kings don't continue. They're gone. <laughs> They're, they're no longer there. And so we're right in that period of real sufficient judgment from the Lord causing, sadly, a lot of grief for northern Israel. Um, okay, next slide. So in this one, I just think this is cool. Personally, this is kind of a, a hobby of mine almost. When I taught at a high school in Illinois um, when I was much younger, <laughs> Uh, I went to the Oriental Institute in Chicago and saw this. This is a copy of Estella. And this is what Sennacherib recorded. I just find there are artifacts plenty during this time that kind of verify the witness of the Bible to what happened. This is his record. You know, every other king, he said, I killed them, I slaughtered them, I deported their people. Here he says, well, I shut them up in a cage. I didn't kill him. And then this one over here testifies to actually what happened at the end of his life. His sons murdered him when he was worshiping his God. And this Stella records that. I find that interesting and just a cool encouragement to believers. All right, next slide. Uh, Down here is kind of the map of the captivities, uh, the Assyrian ones in particular of note for our time frame. Uh, It's not super clear, but they were taken up around that kind of fertile crescent along the roads there and settled there. That's That's a ways. That's a long way to go. And that's what happened to those people because of their sin. This one is very interesting in particular, this uh, black obelisk. This is in Palace of Sargon II. Um, and he, or sorry, uh, Shalmaneser III, and he took Jehu. Now, who is Jehu? He's not actually Omri's son. 
Why is he called Omri's son? If you look, in Micah 7, if you were listening, you've kept the statutes of Omri. Well, Omri was infamous for all the wrong reasons, right? He was a wicked king, but he reigned for a long time. And he was famous in the other nations. So they came to be known as sons of Omri. Remember that? So that is a really bad way to be described, but it's very famous in the land. So this is Jehu. We have this. This is the actual wall of his palace bowing down. He took him into captivity. That guy in the middle, that's the king of Israel. All right. So at the beginning, I asked you guys, hey, how is the book divided? Is there clues to that? And yes is the answer. Uh, when Micah says, hear, O Israel, I think he's recalling us or calling our attention back to Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel. He's saying, hey, you haven't kept the covenant. Listen to the results. And so that happens three times in the book. Uh, and it happens in these divisions. So chapter 1 and 2 seem to be pretty clear division there. It starts in chapter 1, verse 2 with hero Israel, and it's generally addressed to all Israel. Chapters 3 through 5 are addressed to the religious leaders. Now, there are other leaders there, but if you notice, he has more to say to those in charge, kind of the religious practices, because they were extremely wicked. And they were supposed to be on God's side, but spoke against God, actually, including what we heard about Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad, who sacrificed his son in the fire. Finally, in chapters 6 through 7, we have another passage that begins with, Hear, O Israel. And that part, I think, is a much more personal repentance passage. And we'll spend some time talking about it. I think Micah kind of typifies the response that God would have for us in response to his judgment. So those are kind of the visions I have. You got something else? Let me know. It's not inspired by the Spirit. It's just the way I see the book. All right. Well, if you wrote something down about what the book is about, I'd be interested to hear that. Or maybe you've studied it before and have a good idea. But my shot at this is as follows. Given that a few things. Number one, it's a courtroom setting. Like there's an arraignment. Greg helped me understand what that meant. (laughs) I've never been in arraignment. There's indictments read, and God is like calling people to witness. So given that, that's one thing. Another thing that kind of leads me to why I think Mike is about what it's about, I'm going to tell you in a second, is 3.1. And he says, isn't it for you to know justice? I think that's the key verse in all of Micah. I think it's God calling them out for what he is specifically called by God in the Spirit to do. Each prophet and prophetic ministry has a focus. I think that's it. Now, the word justice occurs 10 times, more if you include kind of like figures of speech, but 10 words of just justice. The word leaders or leadership, just the words are 14 times. So we're shooting about seven chapters, so three per chapter, a little more, if you don't include figures of speech. So given those things, I think Mike is about how God responds to unjust leaders. And then also, kind of like, what is he going to do about it, right? Like, So what is God going to do about that? And theologically, I think then we learn how God is mercifully just. He's graciously just. When you you look at chapter 6 and 7, it's full of grace. And the guys and I talked about it on Wednesday. It is just full of grace. For as God's grace overcomes all of the things that they've done. Amazing. Child sacrifice. Stealing houses. His grace is sufficient. And he's just. His gracious justice, his hesed, if you will, his loving kindness. Practically, I think for us, he wants us 
to realize that we shouldn't trust in the leaders of the earth. Unjust leaders. He wants us to reveal them as we look through his word. Think about who we even perceive as our authority in life and how we are to respond to that. And he wants us to turn away from fake hope and fake leaders and turn to the only real leader, him and his son, Jesus Christ. So, as I close this message, I have some questions for you that I think it would be good for you to think about as you read through Micah and as we continue this series. Number one, how does Micah exalt God? In other words, how does, how does the book of Micah lift up the Lord? What does he say about him that makes him worthy of our worship? How is he exalted? And how does he specifically point to the Messiah, the coming king, the leader of God's people that will be revealed many years from this time? Secondly, in your thoughts this week, how does sin, and what kind of sin, and what kind of injustice, and how does injustice work, and how is Micah calling it out here? I want you to think about sin, in particular the sin of injustice, from Micah's perspective, because we hear a lot about injustice in the world, right? It's a pretty common theme today, but what does the Bible say about justice, and how does that work itself out in people? Building on that, then, number three is, how does leadership, and this is not just for you elders here, it's all of us, but how does leadership affect the people around us and affect us, your leadership in particular? Because we've all been a bad boss, and we've all had bad bosses, to be honest. I know I've been a bad boss. How does your leadership in particular affect people? And finally, number four, how is God going to solve Micah's, Israel's, really our problem of sin? Because again, like I said, we're to learn from Micah, it's not just about those terrible people, it's about us. How is God going to solve that problem? Now, we kind of know the, the Jesus answer, right? But when we look at the book of Micah, I think Micah has a lot to say about that, and it's a progression in the book of Micah. So as you're reading this week, seven chapters, again, you can do it in 15 minutes. We did it here in parts to help you read through it, but you can do it in 15 minutes. These are the questions, and I'll, I'll have them leave that up there for you. One easy way I saw Tom do it, take a picture <laughs> on your phone, or I can send it to you if you really need. But these are good things to be processing when we read God's Word through this series. Yeah, let's pray that God would help us to answer those biblically and, and work in our lives to change our lives. Father, we, we're thankful. I'm thankful for this book, how it's already impacted me, thinking about, am I doing what you want as a leader, Lord, in my family, um, in my job here, um, with my kids? Am I honoring you? Am I taking advantage of those around me? And Lord, in all the ways that I have, Forgive me, and I just pray that we'd all examine our own lives this week as husbands and wives, as um, bosses and co-workers, under authority and in authority. Help us to think through the book of Micah in relation to this. and Help us to see the Lord Jesus as so wonderful, worthy of our worship, and so kind to us despite our sin, like Micah 6 and 7. Go before us this week and work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.